Well, today we're in part four of this series called We Church and Not Me Church. It's, there's no and, I, but just We Church and Not Me Church. And uh, the reason we're doing this series is because we all have different experiences with church. Some of us uh, grew up in liturgical churches. Some of us grew up in evangelical churches. Some of us grew up in charismatic churches. And so that shapes the way that you view church in some way. You have like these expectations. You have these preconceived notions of what church is supposed to be, be like. Maybe your experiences were great, and that shapes what you kind of expect. Maybe your experiences were bad. And so you, your preconceived notions coming to church have kind of a negative connotation to it. And, and there's all kinds of things. And then there's those of us that maybe you have zero church experience. And so you're here and you just don't even know why the church exists at all. But somehow you made it here and you're glad to be here, but you're still trying to figure this thing out. And so the reason for this series is that we can all get on the same page and find out why the local church exists. What is the purpose of the church? And that's what we've been doing. We've been walking through that over the last few weeks. And, and if you haven't been here, I want to encourage you, go catch up on these messages because we get into it a little bit deeper here uh, than, than I can in a, in a quick recap. But go to seedschurchtn.com slash messages and listen to these. But, but to just kind of get us caught up to speed today, I'll do a quick recap. First, we talked about the first purpose of the church, the first reason a church exists is that a church helps me know God better. A church helps me know God better. The goal, the ultimate thing of every human being on earth is to know really God better, whether we know it or not, whether you're a Christian or not. Really, we're all created to know God better. And so some people have come to realize that. Some people have already come to the faith through Jesus Christ. Some people have not yet, and they've not learned that yet, but that purpose is still in their life, to know God better. And a church helps us do that. The biblical word for this is called worship. Worship is when we center God in, in the middle of our lives and everything about our lives orbits around God. Everything about it. And so a church helps you center your life on God. A church helps you know God better. Also, a church helps me connect with other believers. The biblical word for this is called fellowship. This is not a word that we use a lot in our everyday vocabulary outside of church world. But fellowship is basically a group of people that are committed to a common cause. You guys remember Tolkien's first installment of the Lord of the Rings trilogy? What was it called? Come on, you nerds. <laughs> right, Fellowship of the Ring. Fellowship of the Ring. That's all right. I didn't hear. Anyway, sorry. Like, you get a pass. Fellowship of the Ring. And, and the characters that are in the fellowship, they are committed to the same common cause. What was that common cause? To destroy that one ring that ruled them all in the fires of Mount Doom, right? And so the same is with the church. We are a group of believers that are gathered, and we are committed to the common cause of destroying the ring and the fires of Mount Doom. No, I'm just kidding. But we are. We are, we are here, and we're gathered to a common cause. What is that common cause? The common cause is to be like Jesus. And that's the other reason a church exists. A church exists to help me grow spiritually. We said this a, a, a couple of weeks ago, that spiritual growth is not about how much you know about God. That's not how spiritual growth is measured, by knowledge. But spiritual growth is determined by how much I am becoming like God. 
Jesus said that in order for us to follow him, that our spirits needed to be born again. And so to just give you some context for that is that this is what we believe that a human being is made up of, is that we have a spirit on the inside of us that is part of us that's eternal. We have a soul, and that's our mind, and that's our, our, our ability to think, and it's our will, and it's our emotions. And then we have this body here. And my body is not eternal, but my spirit and my soul those are eternal things. And so when Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, then your spirit is going to have to be reborn. You're going to have to be born again. And so if you're born physically, you start off as a baby, right? And if you're born spiritually, it means you start off as a baby. And the thing that God puts into place into your life to help you physically grow and mature is, is, a, is a family. It's a nurturing family. And the same thing is true spiritually. The thing that God puts into your life to help you grow up and mature spiritually is a spiritual family, and that's the church. And a church exists to help you grow spiritually. And that's the reason that we've, you've been hearing us talk constantly for the last couple of months about city groups over and over and over again because you don't become like God by just sitting there and listening to teaching. Now, you might be inspired, you might be motivated, you, the light bulb may be coming on for you, but this is not the place where you're actually becoming like God. This is the place where you're learning about God, you're learning how to become like God, but you become like God in the context of community, in the context of a spiritual family, and that's why we're doing city groups, because you need people around you that are helping you grow, and vice versa. You need to be in someone else's life to help them grow. And so a church helps me to grow spiritually. Today, let's talk about the next purpose of a church. A church exists to help me discover my purpose. A church exists to help me discover my purpose. This is the next step in your spiritual journey. First, you come to know God. Then you get joined to the family of God. The family of believers helps you grow spiritually. And then now the next step is exploring and discovering what your purpose is. Why did God put me on this planet? Every single one of us is born with a purpose. Every one of us. God designed you with a specific purpose and a specific reason. God didn't just save you from your sins so that you could just go and do your own thing now. But he saved you so that now you can go and do and be what he always intended for you to be. What he always intended for you to do. We could say it this way. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. If you read through the Bible, we see this pattern over and over and over again. When God intervenes into someone's life, God's not just intervening and saving them from something. He has a purpose. He has a plan. He has something for them to do. And there's, there's, there's a few different Josephs throughout Scripture. But if you remember the, the coat of many colors, Joseph, that guy, the one in Genesis chapter 37 through 50, his story looks... Something like this. This is like the really brief version. This is like we're going to narrow down 13 chapters into this. Um, you, you got a guy who's betrayed by his family. He's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused of rape. He ends up in prison unjustly for two years. 
and he's hit the bottom of the barrel. But miraculously, God saves him, and he raises him up to be the prime minister of Egypt. That's a miracle story. That's only God. That's only God. God delivers him out of prison, and now he is basically the most powerful person in the world at that time, in that era. But God doesn't just save Joseph for Joseph's sake. He did it because he had a purpose for Joseph. God had an assignment for Joseph. God raised Joseph up to be the leader of Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time, so that he could have the influence and the power to prepare for a famine that was coming to to that region of the world. And because he had that power, because he had that influence, he saved millions of people from starving to death, including his own family that had once betrayed him, but then he had come back into reconciliation with. See, God didn't just save Joseph from something. He saved Joseph for something. We see another example of this in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah writes about this encounter that he has with God. And let's look at this here, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. Well, just a little side note. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, they, they didn't like, right, in the, in the year such and such B.C., uh, they weren't keeping time that way. But they were keeping time by major events that were happening. And so that's why he's mentioning this. It was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Now, seraphim are a certain kind of angel, and Isaiah goes on to explain these angels. They had six wings. Two of their wings, they covered their face. Another two of their wings, it says they covered their feet. And with the other two wings, they flew around. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah said, their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Wow. Wow. Yeah, talking about, I can't think of a more significant encounter a person can have than seeing God. Isaiah has this vision of God, and then Isaiah reacts. And how does Isaiah react? Verse 5, then I said, It's all over. I'm doomed. This is it. This is the end of me because I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies, and and I'm nothing compared to him. He is holy and I'm sinful and I'm doomed. This is it for me. Think about this for a moment. Put yourself in Isaiah's shoes because this is 700 years before Jesus shows up on the scene. And so Isaiah's relationship with God is solely based on an old covenant, on an old system of reconciliation in which people live law-focused lives and not gospel-focused lives. They all lived with constant sin consciousness and not grace consciousness. And why did they do that? Because Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't come yet and installed this new way of reconciliation to God that we get to take part in and we get to take full advantage of. So if you were to have this vision of God during this time period, during this era, how might you react? Probably very similar to the way that Isaiah did. 
And Isaiah is like, I'm in the presence of a holy God. I'm sinful. This is it for me. My life is over. I'm going to disintegrate in any second. I just kind of picture like the end of Infinity War where all of our heroes are like crumbling into dust and floating away in the air. You know, Isaiah's probably singing like some Kansas. I'm dust in the wind. You know, this is it for me. But look, at what, look what happens here in the next verse. Verse, uh, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim, one of these angels, they flew over to me with a burning coal that he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And he touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. You know what this is a picture of? It's a picture of grace. Maybe you're here today and you have a lot of baggage. Maybe your past keeps reoccurring in your future. Maybe uh, you, you've got some kind of addiction. You've got some kind of secret, and you need grace. Notice in this passage that Isaiah didn't do anything to deserve being forgiven. He didn't do anything to deserve to being cleansed, to having that seraphim come over touch his lips with that coal. He didn't do anything. There was nothing that he could do to prove it. From Isaiah's perspective, he's like, I'm done. I'm over. This is it for me. But God steps in and he says, no, I'm going to extend my grace to you. There's nothing that you can do to earn it or deserve it. This is just me extending my grace to you. A common misconception that we have is that we've got to get ourselves together. We've got to get ourselves right before we come to God. We're like, well, I've got to deal with my stuff. I've got to stop these bad habits. I, I've got to get everything in order. Then I'll come to God. Then I'll really start getting involved in church. Then I'll get baptized. Then I'll, I'll go in on a city group. Then I'll start to serve. No. No. You got it all wrong because here's the deal. You can never clean yourself up enough to meet God's standard can't do it it's impossible but the amazing thing is is that now we have this new way that God put into order that we can now offer ourselves to him because of Jesus because of who Jesus is because of what Jesus accomplished in his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection we can now come to God and say God I offer all of me to you all the ugly stuff, all the messed up stuff, all the crazy stuff, I give it to you. God, I have no power within myself to clean myself, to clean myself up enough in order to be in a relationship with you, but I receive your grace, I receive your forgiveness, and make a difference with my life, God. Make a difference with my life. God, do whatever it is that you want to do with me. And this is pretty much what happens with Isaiah. Because in verse 8, it says, then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Send me. You've extended grace to me, God. And now I want to love and I want to serve and I want to give. Sign me up, God. I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'll do it. You see what's happening here? God offers Isaiah, this grace, and then God says, I got a job for you. 
got something for you to do. I have purpose for you. God didn't just save Isaiah from something. He saved Isaiah for something. Grace does not find a man and leave him where he is. Another way to say it is this way. Saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. The salvation that Jesus provided you, his incredible grace that he's given to you, it goes hand in hand with the ministry that he's called you to. I heard someone say once that you can gauge a person's level of understanding grace by how much they want to serve others. Because when you really experience the grace of God, when you really see everything that God has done for you, you just can't help but want to serve. You just can't help but go to God and say, God, use me. God, do what you want to do through me. And it's not out of a heart of obligation. It's not about, well, i got to do this, i got to pay God back. You can never pay God back. You could serve him every second of your life, and it wouldn't be enough to pay him back for his grace that he has so graciously poured out on you. It's not about feeling obligated. It's not about feeling like, well, I just, well, this is what we do. This is what I have to do. No, it's about I want to. I want to. Some of you have amazing stories of what God has done in your life, how he's changed your past. You had maybe a really messed up past. Maybe you, you had some addictions. Maybe you had some dark secrets. Maybe your marriage was a mess and God restored it. God brought you out of those things, whatever it was. And now you're in the position. I know some of you. I know your stories. And now you're like, man, I just want God to use me. I want to help people get through the things that I had to get, go through and help them avoid it if they can and help them be redeemed, help them be restored, help them be renewed, help them find God's purpose for their life. It's awesome. And then there's others of us that are like, well, I kind of relatively grew up pretty chill, like in a really great family, and I wasn't, didn't really go out and sow a lot of wild oats. You know, I, I, I don't have a lot of regrets. Yeah, I have a few regrets, but I don't have some major things that I regret. I, my life was pretty mild. So how does God use me? What, what is he going to do with me? Well, let me ask you, how do you think you got into that great family? Grace? It's all grace. What do you think that you did to deserve the good parents? What do you think that you did to deserve the wonderful family that helped nurture and grow you up? Did you do anything to deserve that? No. It's grace. So, so the same grace that saved some of us from our crazy mess is the same grace that saved some of us from ever having to experience the crazy mess. Either way, it's grace. And either way, because of that grace, I want to serve. Because of that grace, I want to love. Because of that grace, I want to give. The biblical word for this is called ministry. Ministry. Now, I realize there's probably several of you in here that you don't feel like ministers. You don't think of yourself as a minister. You think of yourself as an attender. You're like, well, the people up front, you know, they know what they're doing. They're the ministers. People over on that wall on the prayer team, they're ministers. I'm just an attender. Well, to help us better understand what ministry really is, we have this equation. 
Now, let's put this up here. Ministry is this. Um, ministry is when you take your God-given gifts and you add them to serving others, and then you add that to God's purposes, meaning that we're doing it for God's reasons, for God's glory, and not our own. So you take your God-given gifts, the things that the spiritual gifts that he's given you, and even maybe even sometimes even your natural ability, and even your past experiences, whether they were good or bad, because God can redeem those and use them as a gift to help you do ministry. And so you take your, your God-given gifts, you serve others. We've been, we talked about this earlier in the summer in, in our Servant of All series. What does a servant do? They find a need and they fill it. Fill it. They find a hurt and they heal it. And then you're doing it for God's purposes. It's not about, hey, everybody, look at me. You know, aren't I awesome? No, it's about the glory of God. And that's ministry. God-given gifts plus serving others plus God's purpose, that equals ministry. It has nothing to do with standing up on a stage or standing up in front of a bunch of people. It has nothing to do with that. The Apostle Paul writes to a local church. In Ephesus, and he talks about how a biblically functioning church ought to operate. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, Now, these are some gifts, these are the gifts that Christ Himself, Jesus Christ, that name has some weight. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is commonly referred to uh, as the five-fold ministry gifts. Five-fold ministry gifts. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. And why did Jesus give these gifts to the church? He says, well, it's their responsibility, the responsibility of these gifts to equip God's people to do God's work and build up the church, which is the body of Christ. Now listen, we can go into a whole teaching series on this passage and, and all about this and break down and talk about the roles that each one of these fivefold ministry gifts is supposed to, how they're supposed to equip and care for the church and build the church up. We don't have time to do all that today. But in a room this size, we probably... More than likely, we've got maybe some people here that might say, wait a second, I thought like there weren't apostles anymore. I thought like that was only for the early church. Well, the short answer to that is no. That's not right. All five ministry gifts, all five of these fivefold ministry gifts are still active in Christ's church today. We, we were, uh, some of us went to a men's conference on Friday and we got, a, got chatting about this a little bit. We kind of had a little sidebar in our conversation on our drive up to this conference, and we were talking about this kind of thing. And, and um, all five of the gifts are still in operation in Christ church today, but we're not always really good at recognizing the difference between the gifts. Here's what we do. Uh, we just call everybody pastor. Someone that has a ministry gift, we just call them Pastor. And you might, well, no, it's just semantics. But it's, it's more than that. Uh, because when we call someone pastor, we automatically place like preconceived expectations or notions on that person on how they are supposed to build up the church and equip the church. And so here's the problem with that. If that leader 
if that ministry leader is really has the ministry gift of a teacher, if that ministry leader really has the gift of, of an evangelist or an apostle or a prophet, but we call them pastor, but they're not really a pastor, then we're doing ourselves a disservice and they can never live up to our expectations of how they're supposed to equip the body. And so then we, we get all upset, we get bent out of shape, we come out of fellowship, we leave churches because of poor misunderstanding and not recognizing that these people are gifts and that the gifts are different. A pastor's not the same as a prophet. A prophet's not the same as an evangelist. An evangelist is not the same as a teacher. An apostle's different than all of them. And so, this is a little side note. It's really not anything to do with we church, not me church. But I think it's important. I think it's important for us to recognize and understand. Because, you know, it's important for us to understand how each one of these gifts helps the body of Christ. So that we can truly be developed and not disillusioned. So let's go back to this passage for a second. Here's the deal. Jesus, not Joseph... (laughs) Jesus, he has chosen certain people. And it's not because these people have done anything to deserve it. It's not because they jumped through so many hoops. It's not because they qualified in some way. But he chose them. Now, they do have now a responsibility because they are chosen to walk in such a way that honors Jesus, to walk in such a way that gains influence with people, and not have their lives a total wreck and mess. And Paul talks to Timothy in, in, about the qualifications of, of ministry leaders. But, but it's not that they did those things and then Jesus was like, good job, now you earned it. Jesus chose these per- certain people. And there are people walking around in our everyday lives. People that are selling insurance. People that are doctors. People that are mechanics. But they have the call, a five-fold ministry gift call on their life. And you know what? You can still fulfill that ministry gift on your life, even if you're not vocationally in ministry. But there's a lot of people that are in a different vocation simply because they're running away from the call of God in their life to be one of these gifts. Again, side note, man, I just keep coming back to this. I think it must be important for some reason. But here's the deal. Jesus chose these people, and he has turned their lives into a gift for the church. Why does he do this? To equip his people. Who's his people? You are. We are. We are his people. You're his people. Why is he equipping equipping his people? To do his work. Other translations say this, that Jesus gave these gifts to the church so that the people would be equipped, so the saints would be equipped to do the work of the ministry. The role of fivefold ministry gifts are to help you maximize spiritual gifts in your life that God has given to you so that you can go and be mobilized and activate the gifts in your everyday life, not just when you come into the gathering of the church. It's kind of like the relationship between coaches and players. It's kind of like that. The coaches are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Everyone else in the church are like the players. They're out on the court actually making the things happen. They're out on the court, you know, dunking the ball and, and you know, dribbling between the legs and ankle breaking. And, you know, if you don't know what ankle breaking is, that means making, faking somebody out and making them misstep. But anyway. Um, and so they, these are the coaches. 
these are the players. And let me say this. There's only two categories in the church. You've got the coaches. That's the first one. And you've got the players. That's the second one. That's it. Those are the, those are the two categories. That's it. There's no, other, there, there's no other category. There's no fans. Why is that? Because attending church is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> attending church is not a spiritual gift. No one is going to stand before God someday, and God is going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you the gift of attendance, and you nailed it. You were there every single week. Good job. Come and enter into my rest. Attending church is not a spiritual gift. There's no fans. You know, there's only coaches and players here on earth. Now, there are fans, but they're not here on earth. Hebrews chapter 12 says that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who is that? That's the believers that have gone before us and they have passed from this realm to the next realm. And they're the ones that are cheering us on. But they're not here on earth. There's no fans here on this planet. While we are here on earth, there's no spectators in God's kingdom. There's only coaches and players. God didn't just save you from something. He saved you for something. Saved people serve people. So the question is this. What's your ministry? What does God want to do through you? How does the Holy Spirit want you to take those gifts that he's given you and, he, and, and mobilize and activate those gifts in your life. Jesus told a parable about a master who had three servants. And so uh, the, the master, he gave some resources to each one of these servants to manage. And so the, the, first, um, the first servant received five of these resources, and these resources were called talents. So the master gave five talents to this one servant. Then he gave two talents to the next servant. And to the third servant, he gave one talent for them to manage, for them to do with something with this. So the master leaves, and he goes away. And after a number of years, the master comes back on the scene to find out how things are going. Hey, let's check in on my boys here. Let's find out what they're, what's going on. What, what have they done with the talents they've given, I've given to them? How have they managed them? Well, the first servant, he said, Master, you gave me five talents, and now I've managed them in such a way that I now have ten talents. I have doubled what you have given to me. And the master is proud of him. He's like, great job, awesome. Second servant comes, uh, comes over to, to the master and he says, Master, you gave me two talents. I've doubled them. I now have four. The master's like, awesome, great job. Love it. Third servant comes to the master and says, Master, you gave me one talent. And I was so nervous. I was so freaked out. I was so afraid that I was going to screw this thing up that, that I went and I took what you gave me. I took this talent and I buried it in the ground back in my backyard and so I've dug it up. Here it is, just the way that you gave it to me, just like you gave it to me. Sorry, there's a little some, some dirt and dust on it, but here it is. It's exactly the way that you gave it to me. Now, you think that's why the master gave him that gift? 
to keep it safe. To, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure the master probably, if he didn't want anything to be done with it, he probably could, could have kept it safe on his own. And so if you read through the story of Matthew chapter 25, the master's not very happy with this servant. He's not very pleased with him. And he takes, you need to read it for yourself, he takes that talent away from that guy, and he gives it to the guy who now ended up with ten talents. Man, let's not be like that third servant. Let's not be like that guy where we say, well, I did nothing with the gifts that you gave me. What's your ministry? God, out of his rich grace, now wants to do something significant in your life in a way that makes you come alive like you could never imagine before. You might be sitting here, you might be thinking, well, J.D., I've already, I've already tried this. It didn't work out for me. And um, I still love Jesus. Still love the church, but I'm just going to be an attender because I tried this and it just didn't pan out. Don't give up. Don't give in. You know, because we don't do that in other areas of our life. We don't give in so easily with other areas of our, our life that, that make no eternal difference whatsoever. I mean, I know people that, that show an incredible amount of, of strength and fortitude and perseverance when it comes to Black Friday shopping. <laughs> and people that show an incredible amount of strength and fortitude and perseverance when they have tickets to the game. And it doesn't matter what the weather conditions are, they're getting to the game. And it doesn't matter how smelly and hot and nasty and how many people are there. They're going to the game. Or they're going to the concert. It doesn't matter how much traffic's on the road. They're going to get to the reservation to that restaurant, their favorite restaurant. They show an incredible amount of strength and fortitude and perseverance for things that don't amount any difference for, for the, in, the, in the scheme and the scope of eternity. It doesn't make any difference. Are those things wrong? Are they bad? Are they evil? No. Nothing wrong. But why have you chosen to exert your effort in those things and then give up? in the things that are going to count for eternity. Why do we do that? Let's not do that. This is a work. Using your spiritual gifts is a work that's going to make a difference for all of eternity. So you know what? Keep trying. If it hasn't worked out for you, if it didn't pan out for you, keep trying. Don't give up. Don't give in. It might take two or three or four or five different tries to find your place, to find that fit, to, find, to figure out what your spiritual gifts are and how that you can activate and use, and use them. There's nothing like the thrill of being used by God to, to make a difference in the life of someone else. Don't underestimate the power of being needed. It's not me, church. It's we, church. We need you. We need you. 
to activate your gifts. We need you to discover what they are. That's what the DNA process, that's part of what the DNA process is about, is we take that time to say, oh, this is how the Lord shaped my personality. This is the spiritual gifts that he's given me. And you know what? Sometimes those can change over the years. Sometimes you get a gift for a season, and you may not have that gift, but you get a different one. And you, and you, but, but you use that one. Paul says, desire all the gifts. I don't know anybody yet that moves and operates fully in all the gifts. But Paul says, desire to do it. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for our church. I pray that our church would not just be like where people just show up to watch professionals do their thing. But instead, I pray that our church would be the kind of church where everyone is finding their fit. They're finding their place. They're maximizing. They're discovering and maximizing the gifts that that God has given to them. How much more effective could we be? How much more could heaven be brought from heaven to earth? Here in Middle Tennessee, right here where we live... If we would discover and if we would mobilize and activate our gifts and find out what our ministry is. Remember, it's just really easy. It's your God-given gifts plus serving others plus God's purpose. That equals ministry. Why do you need to get rooted in the church, in a local church? You know, I said this yesterday to the folks at DNA. Listen, I have no problem whatsoever with people that go and visit other churches. I think, you know, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I think we've got wonderful churches here in Middle Tennessee. I just talked to someone this morning that visited another church at their Saturday night service last night. And they were telling me about all these amazing things. Fantastic. That's awesome. But you know that person I talked to? You know where they're rooted? They're rooted here. And it's not about... Uh, I'm not talking about building a brand at Seeds Church or growing this church. I'm talking about you need to be rooted somewhere. And whether it's in Seeds Church or whether it's the church down the street or the church across town, find out where the Holy Spirit wants you to root, to be rooted because roots come before fruits. And so what we have oftentimes is uh, there's a, this, it seems to be very prevalent in, in our Christian culture where some people... They don't plant roots in a local church. They just go visit all the time. They're always visiting. They're always a guest somewhere. And they even have a circuit. And maybe there's four or five places. They're always making around the circuit. But they're never rooted in any one of those churches. And because of that, they're not serving anywhere. Because of that, they're, they're not allowing people that really have the Spirit of God in them and have spiritual gifts to pour into their life, to build them up, to bring correction, to encourage them. And, and they miss out on the opportunity to influence people too. Because how can you influence someone when you're only there once a month? I, we said this also the other day, uh, yesterday. Like 80% of success is just showing up. If you're watching right now on Facebook Live or YouTube, I'm so glad that you're watching us or listening to this podcast through this digital uh, you know, medium. But I want to encourage you. If you are not planted in a local church, get planted in a local church. Whether you're watching me across the world or just down the street, get planted in a local church. And I know that some of you, are, you might be home today because, uh, because some, you know, the babies are sick, you're not feeling well or whatever. And that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not trying to heap condemnation on you. I'm trying to encourage you to plant roots in a local church. Get in community with people. Because within community... 
The church helps us know God better. It helps us be in community with other believers and be joined with the people of the common cause. It helps us grow spiritually, and it helps us discover our purpose. You need to be rooted in a local church. Won't you pray with me? Won't you stand up? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for giving spiritual gifts to us. We didn't do anything to deserve it. and You, you do it. You, you, you didn't just save us from something. You saved us for something. Thank you. Thank you for giving our lives purpose. Thank you for gifting us with those five-fold ministry gifts to help build up the church, to help maximize and activate and mobilize the gifts that you have given to us. Thank you. Holy Spirit, help us see what you see. Help us see our gifts that you've put on the inside of us. Help us see the vision that you have of the future for what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. Help us come alive as we activate these gifts that you've given to us. If you're here today, you might say, J.D., I'm far from God. I've never, there's never really been a moment in my life where I've followed God. I've never really, I'm definitely not a Christ follower. Maybe I was at one time in my life, but I'm not now. I want to tell you, you don't have to leave here in that same scenario. You can leave here today knowing that you are reconciled with God because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And if you want to do that today, be reconciled to God. Give your life to him. Accept this free gift of grace that he has given to us. I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I come to you and I give my life to you. The good, the bad, the ugly, my past, my present, and my future, I give it to you. I ask you to forgive me for doing my life without you. And I ask you to cleanse me and make me new and make me clean. I follow you, Jesus. I will follow you for the rest of my life, for all the days of my life. I want to be your disciple. I want to become just like you. So take my life by your grace, by the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Come and live inside of me and make something with my life that I can't do on my own. Do whatever it is that you want to do with my life. Jesus, I declare you as Lord, and I believe that God raised you from the dead. My life is now yours. Amen.